0: Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode, we're now jumping into the year 1994. If you're attention to the show, we started off in nineteen eighty two years ago, people. Two? Almost three years ago. Oh my gosh. That was April of uh, 2020, I think, is when we launched. Uh, we, we, there was a podcast, obviously, before that, and lots of shows that we did, but Hit Rewind was kind of like my streamlining of things and focus because I have extreme ADD, and I forget what we've already covered, <laughs> and I'm getting older, so my memory is shit. So, John... I can't believe we're almost finished with year uh, three.
1: I know. And getting into the 90s, where I know I definitely had a lot more direct knowledge of stuff as opposed to going back or having vague memories of it.
0: Right, yeah. Because when we started this in 1980, I believe we only did, I think Jacob and I did maybe one, at best two episodes about the movies. And you know, we thought about doing television, and then like our top, you know, top ten songs of that year, and realized, well, as the movies were getting, you know, heavier, or whatever, that we had to ditch a couple of those. We still have the video games. I think we did. We, do, we did do video games in 1980, right? We,
1: we? No, we. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes.
0: I, yes, we did. Yeah. See, I don't remember because that was the year Pac-Man came out. I'm pretty sure, and that's uh, that's when we started doing it. And then we yeah, did
1: we did comics later on
0: right yeah I think we didn't start to like 84 or 85 or something like that and and the music was only 5 albums each and we struggled just to get to 5 a couple of those years and then it got to the point now where you know we moved to the top 10 each now we are at 12 <laughs> and like yeah now we're not just going off of discovery we're now going based on memory some things I never had to listen to again because I know them by heart um, some of these are newer to me and all of yours except I think three are new to me I'm not sure um, so I believe you went first last time I think but, I did, I okay. did. so um, my first album of 1994 oh, not 96 um, is Soundgarden Super Unknown their biggest charting album the, the most hits this is their peak as a band i
1: oh. I will be honest, I did not like this album as much as Bad Figure.
0: Now, yeah, I know people who are more on Bad Figure because it's heavier. This one's more moody. And I know some people who are more into Down on the Upside uh Down on the Upside, their final album for a very long time. And oh. I don't know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this is the one that I had in my car when I was first driving and I listened to non stop. Oh totally.
1: And I I think this album is wonderfully varied. Like they the the style, the everything about this is you know, ex- they're experimenting with everything that they can do and it fits. It fits together really well. This is not a slouch album. This isn't bad in any way. It's I just kind of like I'm kinda of getting through going I could you know, I could keep it, I could leave it. It really doesn't affect it didn't affect me in the way that like Bad Motor figure and I was kind of surprised at that because I never Soundgarden was never really a band I liked so in in sitting down and giving Batmortifinger a better shot you know and having a, having a really good time with it going back into this one I I didn't hype myself up too far for it but I'm going alright it has Man and I hate
0: Spoonman you do? I love that fucking I, song but I know people hate it so I loathe that song. It just annoys me.
1: But, uh, it, but also, it's like, I do have nostalgia love for Black Hole Sun. Yeah,
0: you know? well, this is when they got a lot more moodier and I think more accessible. This is when, guys, there was a time when all the girls loved moody grunge music. <laughs> uh, I grew up, I was in high school, my senior year when this came out. And all the girls were like, it was either Soundgarden or Candlebox. And they were crazy about both of them. They're
1: so beautiful and moody and deep. <laughs> yeah, that's the—they're the bad boys. You know, they—they they were
0: unwashed, and you could—you know—the girls wanted to change them and you know be the be the the thing that gets them out of their darkness. Well, I think that they were the ones. <laughs> Well, it was either that or it was Pearl Jam because I know STP never really connected with a female audience and they were always very kind of like eclectic and oddball, especially with their 96 album, and they never really had like a locked-in audience, it seemed. And Nirvana, of course, they ended early, um, so that became like one of those tragic, you know, Jim Morrison kind of, uh, you know, before their time, so that's what they were championed so high. Um, well, so, well
1: it's like Soundgarden, like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden would be the bad boys. SCP, really? If you think about them? They're
0: like the art school kids. Yeah. Well, and then there was Allison Chains, and they were too heavy. They were just too heavy yeah. for a lot of people. So they're, yeah, they're the metal. They're the metal kids. Yeah, and while Soundgarden oh, started off heavier, like the last album was much more uh, like hard pounding, but not as accessible by a mainstream audience. So it makes sense why this one was the one that sold six million records for fuck's sake, and had all yeah. the the charting hits. Spoonman is the weird one that I'm kind of surprised connected because I would have thought Super Unknown would have been another hit from them. And they just, they never even put that out as a single. But um, I says My Wave was a single, but I don't remember that. Um, I remember it off my, I had a CD in 96 where it was all about like surf songs, ocean songs. Where it was trying to raise money for you know cleaning up the ocean, and I remember it on that. I do not remember it uh, playing on the radio. It "Fell on Black Days," of "Black Hole Sun," and "The Day I Tried to Live" were like nonstop, especially "Black Hole Sun" on MTV.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that creepy fucking video. No, oh, the
0: eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You so it entertain- it's entertaining. So. Yeah, that is uh, that's my first choice. Yours,
1: your turn. <laughs> the Lords of Acid. Voodoo you.
0: Oof, that was... Okay, I have no issue, obviously, because I like electro. This felt so intense to me that I had, like, an anxiety attack. And I've had this before. <laughs> no, seriously, I've had albums before. The first time I heard Tyrannosaurus Hives, uh, obviously by the hives, I had an anxiety attack because it was so intense. I had to stop after three songs because I was getting, like... <laughs> this It's amazing, but it's not... It, it's, it's kind of relentless. This is the kind of thing that they would play at uh, raves, I'm sure.
1: Oh, their the first album especially is, is very much a rave one. This one went a lot more industrial, so it, it kind of has not is necess- uh, I'm sure if, they, if you see it played live, they're using live guitars. I don't think there's any actual live guitar on the album. But, uh, yeah, this is, it's such a, it's so fucking weird that the Lords of Acid have been on so many soundtracks, considering the fact that the lyrics are what they are, but it's also, it's not, not just that they're on soundtracks, but what songs are chosen for films fucking baffles me at times, because Young Boys is a song in which the singer at the time, Cherry Blue, is, t- is singing about fucking younger guys, and it's featured at the end and through the credits of virtuosity. It's just, and we know why it's that because it's the gu- the guitar sounding riff of yeah. the thing.
0: Well, so, it seemed like 95, 95 96 seemed like that was that era where all of a sudden every soundtrack that had anything to do with computers or games or anything like that had tons of this kind of music. I mean, that's the only reason I know Lords of Acid is because they would be on soundtracks.
1: Yeah, and like what's what's funny about this is also just from for me just saying that okay. If you've never heard of Lords of Acid, the album cover for this album is a group of female demons completely naked, having an orgy. Uh,
0: I didn't see to, that, but I, I will go back and look.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it's that it, well, it's one of those guys who does like the uh, the hard rod... Uh, hard rod <laughs>
0: hot rod uh, type artwork. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of pin-up, you know, they're pin-up demons. Oh, gotcha, okay.
1: But yeah, I mean, it's fully graphic you know vaginas and everything Uh, but these this is a group that has some of the most sexually explicit lyrics in something that is arguably mainstream because you can buy these albums in many record stores you can shit you probably go if you can actually find a record store these days you could probably find one
0: if you live in Portland there's one every other block
1: (laughs) Yeah, chances are if you find the electronic section, you'll find a, Lord's Va- a few Lords of Acid records. And uh, but here's some of the things that some of these songs are. In. There's Krab Louse, which is an ode to pubic lice, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Drink My Honey, which you know I- I'll let you figure that one out yourself. Yep. But uh, yeah, this is if you're not afraid of dirty music. <laughs> this and, and you just kind of want something that's very pulse-pounding it's just like maybe anxiety inducing uh, this is probably probably the heaviest album that they did they're, they have one a little later called Far Strucker, which if you uh take the st and the f and switch them you'll figure out what that actually is uh that's a lot more rock oriented but yeah you know, for the most part they're basically just dirty party music very dirty party music
0: what's your next one uh my next one is our lady Peace's debut Navid Now, no this is not their greatest album by any means uh one of my favorite bands and I, I really think that they've been kind of forgotten even though they had a lot of charting hits this is where it all begins And even from the beginning, like, maybe their sound wasn't as complex as later albums, but this seemed like kind of a wake-up call for, like, uh, Canada can put out more music than just Rush, you know what I mean? Uh, I really think it's emotionally dense. Uh, it's not as clear, you know, uh, production value, like I said, as their as future albums, but I really enjoy this band, and, and this is a good place to start. Navid would be the only song I think anybody ever heard from this album in America. They were massive in Canada, though.
1: Well, in listening to this, my first impression uh, I don't I know I've heard the name, but I've never heard them until this point. And listening with 2022 20, ears. It came off as very generic. So I was trying, I was doing my damnedest to try and go back to the early 90s and listen to it with that. And at the end of it, it's definitely, an. I think the album's all right. Yeah. It's, it most likely would have been something I would have owned at the time. I 100% know it would have been there with my, with Bush and Green Day and all the other things like, that I bought at that time. 100%.
0: Yeah, to me you they feel owned. different though Something about the sound I don't know what it is It doesn't feel exactly like grunge And it didn't feel like the British wave That was coming like with Bush And, and stuff like that Something, And maybe it is the Canadian sound that it, And his voice of course is very unique I don't know anybody else that sounds like him
1: Yeah it's it, Unfortunately it, I was also As I'm getting through this I kind of felt Yeah I would have owned this I also
0: probably in college would have sold it to the to the record store. <laughs> thing, to and you pay see, for you've, another, you've never another. heard this band before.
1: Never. Or really? know.
0: Do you not no. remember the song? Um, I yeah, Superman's dead. Uh, I-E-I-E, yeah, yeah. Is it in my very, head? Nothing. It's
1: very. Does it ring a bell? It's possible. I've seen the video. I saw the videos on MTV. It's possible my friend russell would have had them he had uh like silver chair and some other stuff like that so i've heard stuff too you know that i've never owned
0: okay said, well like, you're gonna i mean i hope that you tolerated this enough that because there's gonna be like at least three more albums from them <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm curious to hear more so you've piqued my interest Already, uh, your turn okay since i uh I have quite a bit of electronica in this this
0: episode, so I think we'll do Prodigy's Music for the Jilted Generation. I like this one, but I don't like it as much as the previous album, and of course, the next one's like their big epic. Um, I feel like they were... Here's the funny thing, most albums do feel slightly different, like they're constantly advancing what they want to do, and they're not really repeating themselves. Um, So I respect that, but I still had, had trouble getting into this one.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's the thing is. For me, it's, I'm torn between this and Fat of the Land as being their best word. Uh, Two The two big singles from Fat are amazing, but the rest of the album kind of ebbs and flows, and I think this one really is consistent, although I could live without the last three tracks, the Narcotic Tweets, and I could live without that, really. They're not bad songs, it's just, it, goes, it really feels like that goes on for far too long, for what it is but this is the album that people know mainly because like voodoo people and one love yeah voodoo people uh, one in, that i know for this yeah we're in hackers and those are hell with them. great songs there's uh their law which at the very least has guitar work from pop will pop will eat itself
0: yeah oh yeah no yeah that's the other song that i knew ahead of time was that one
1: yeah it's like there's I think break and enter is maybe the only other thing that's a slightly bit of a misstep because the glass-shattering sound effect that they have over most of the song gets kind of annoying at times. Yeah,
0: well, and this is before I think they understood that they could, you know, legitimately sell these songs on the radio so that songs are tighter. I feel like some of these just go on too long and it's probably because they were designed for, you know, a rave.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing Yeah, This is... This is also rave music. This is stuff that's there to dance to. You, some of it does work really well. Voodoo people in One Love are good for driving. You know, it's like, it's active music as opposed to something that you really just kind of go and chill to. And that, that seems to be, with my electronic music, I seem to have two gears. It's either happy, very active stuff or I have to be able to just let it flow over me. And Prodigy is definitely that. I'm going out, I'm going to do stuff, I'm going to work out, I need food and people.
0: Yeah, there's, well yeah, you like some of the more moody stuff, and I'm not completely with all on board with that. There's some I like, like Air, um, and the Tron Legacy of course, a Soundtrack, of course. Mine's more like pop friendly, like when it broke through in 97 and, and onto the top 40 is when, like that era is when I really got into it. That's what I got for for Prodigy. Alright, so my next one is an obvious. Look, I remember in the beginning when we said we were not going to do the obvious albums because everybody knows they're great. (laughs) I gave that up. (laughs) A long time ago. Blue (laughs) Album by Weezer, which at the time was not called the Blue Album. That's retroactively titled that way. Um, just Yeah, it's yeah. like every other album now was a color, and I think they're running out of album colors to go with. Um, then the, their last album will be plaid, which will be all the colors. And um, I mean, obviously, this is a really tight album. This is when Rick Ocasek became like, oh, producer Rick Ocasek. Like, do you remember? When, like, all of a sudden, he was required if you wanted an album that would like sell to the teen hipsters, you know, college age kids. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, he he's kind of responsible for. I'm going to have to phrase it like this. Music I fucking hate.
0: Really? Yeah. Do, you, do you not like this album?
1: I know. I... Okay. Uh, reverse some things. This is the only Weezer album I like. Really? I fucking hate Weezer. Wow. Like, like I, I I think it's this album, Perfect. the song Perfect Situation, and El Scorcho. And... Why do I, I... I've given it a genuine try. I've genuinely tried to like Weezer.
0: Is it because it's too twee?
1: I I think they're fucking fake as hell. Ah. I think Wonder one was the most fake motherfucker on the planet. They... Nothing about them feels genuine at any point. Well, no.
0: That's actually what he said after... Well, Pinkerton's like the one where he put his heart on the table and, and then nobody accepted it at the time. And then all of a sudden, he, he disappeared for, what, five years, and came back with a green album, and he says, well, now I have a formula. Yeah, so he's not authentic as he- as anything, oh. but I think a lot of musicians, as years go on, you know, they start just doing a formula, which is kind of shitty. but And your, your criticism is completely valid, and I've heard it from lots of people. I'm a sucker. Um, you're talking to the guy who loves Kiss, so I'm a fucking sucker.
1: <laughs> oh. oh, dude, if you want to talk about formula, I fucking love KMFDM, and they've... They've gone through eras. They literally have eras that are very, very much. You can hear a KFBM album. You know it's a KFBM album. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, um, but
1: the thing is, it's like they put out that teal album, the covers album, not not to, a couple of years back, and it's the most soulless fucking thing ever.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, I, but I like, still, I still enjoy it.
1: <laughs> so, like, so like
0: I'm he, not, I'm not as deep as you are. Everybody knows that I'm a, a fucking ding dong when it comes <laughs> yeah, to stuff. It's, you know, it's
1: like I could be and I could shit on this album too in some things. Like they only got famous because of the gimmick nature of Buddy Holly.
0: Yeah, it's, well I mean it's, it's a still a guy. very catchy album. I think it still would have had a cult following. I don't think it would have sold as well as it did. By the way, yeah. if you were our age when this album came out, you would have thought it sold twenty million records oh, because
1: I I owned it, I still think I I will sit there and go, This album fucking kills.
0: Yeah, well, also, everybody we knew had this. They were wearing Weezer t-shirts. It never went away on television. But no, it only sold 3 million um, records in America. And we're like, that's still pretty fucking good. But at the time, you would have thought it was way more than that because it was ubiquitous for any between 15 and 20. Yeah,
1: and what's funny is I think the only song on this that I don't like as much as the other songs on the album is Holiday I literally love, like, I can listen to this album from beginning to end on repeat. I like this album a lot. <laughs> and that's just kind of, like, makes it weird that how much passion I have against <laughs> the band as what followed.
0: Um, I like, there's a track on this. It was a track that was not on the original album, but was put on the deluxe edition that I knew from a movie. And that's What's the final that? track, uh, Suzanne, on the Mall Rats, uh soundtrack. Oh,
1: yeah. Suzanne is such a wonderful song
0: it's, it's a lot of fun but it's about a monkey well in the movie it's about a monkey <laughs> yeah I it's, I generally wonder if that was written
1: quote unquote for the movie or if that was just literally a b-side that ended up on the film that everyone just kind of yeah, you know, just somehow it exploded,
0: as we saw. Yeah, there was one on the Angus soundtrack that would make it on this as well, and I can't remember what it was called, but man, I had so many soundtracks during this time period. If it was a movie, and this is when they were selling like crazy, but they always had kind of like uh, maybe one or two originals, you know, songs that were, that were that someone was hired specifically to do one for the movie, and then it was like, hey, what songs do you have that are kind of cool sounding that didn't make it on your album that we can throw on here? You know, like, do you remember it was like it was the like Dumb and Dumber... Uh, the jerky boys uh angus mall empire well empire records actually seemed more focused on original songs but that was a time period when every single fucking movie seemed to have like a hip soundtrack yeah that's at least this is the
1: 90s is the the time where soundtrack were the best like yeah a clueless
0: people, yeah i
1: mean even shitty movies Have good
0: soundtracks. Oh, yeah. There's so many movies where the soundtrack was better than fucking City of Angels, Crow City of Angels. Um, I forgot that there was two City of Angels. (laughs) Um, That soundtrack is so good. That movie is a mess. Yeah, we we, we did speak
1: about that one. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) All
0: right, what is your next album? All right. Hold that
1: back up. Sorry, I disappeared for a second. Next one is uh, Portishead, Dummy
0: really moody dense um, I think I only know them again from a soundtrack I think that they were on one of the Scream soundtracks and the minute I heard it, I was like oh yeah I know this band it's really yeah. like laid back chill late night you know if you're trying to study or just relax it's a, it's a really good album I, w- I probably would never listen to it again but I enjoyed it
1: well it's like they're one of the pioneering acts of trip-hop uh, which is also known as uh, down tip you know it's like basically Massive Attack who pretty much invented it and, uh, you know, Tricky and DJ Shadow. Yeah, yeah, I remember
0: basically. Tricky. Well, who's the one that did, um, uh was it, Six Underground?
1: Who's That's it? Uh, Sneaker Pimps.
0: Now, were Sneaker Pimps part of that genre? They
1: are part of that genre, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, but Trip Hop basically is this fusion of,
1: like, kind of jazz, hip-hop, and Jamaican dub, which that basically were, like, the slow, heavy drum beat, kind of, you know, like, the down-tempo vibe of these songs, kind of, is kind of from. And that's a lot of, especially a lot of Massive Attack uses the, uses dub. But uh, these guys uh, also decide to kind of incorporate elements of like 60s and 70s soundtrack, which kind of gives this entire album this filled noir feel to it. Where it's like, yeah, you, you kind of imagine that it's everything in this album is black and white, and there's uh, people with cigarettes, you know, and, you know, going through city streets at night in the rain, and it's, you know, it, like you said, Moody. This is... Shit, this is probably my favorite album of this entire genre. Okay. With, which, it, it's saying something, because DJ Shadows introducing is amazing. Uh, you mentioned Six Underground. Uh, the self uh, self-titled debut of Lamb. Nightmare on Waxes in a Space Out of Sound. Like, shit, I'm getting Massive Attack in general. There's a lot of really good stuff like this and this like shit. Sour Times and Glory Box especially like the two biggest singles from this and if anything if you're ever going to try any trip hop I even just say start with one of those two songs it's amazing anyway
0: that's it alright so my next one is Beastie Boys Ill Communication the last album saved their career and it did well This is the one that blew them back up into the mainstream. And I know it's completely different than where they started from. And I also know that, yes, there's not a lot of actual singles in this. This is a mood, a vibe that they were just kind of jamming with. It's experimental. It's weird. And it's... If you like uh, License to Ill, you probably fucking hate this album.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I I don't hate this one as much as you know, like kind of some of the other stuff that they've done that I've kind of been weird on with with them. But uh, you know, it's got sabotage, and everyone loves sabotage. Yeah. Well, I think not, the best
0: one like, on this is Sure Shot. The opening track is one of the oh, best. Yes. Yeah. But it's
1: yeah, I I did enjoy this this one enough, and it just kind of made me think. Their next episode
0: is so much better. Oh uh, yeah, episode. well, well, the '98 album is when they start incorporating electronica and more, more hip hop and, and less filler. There's a lot of tracks on here where they're just, you know, noodling around on instruments um, or just, you know, it's you know old raw punk that they would do like when they were kids. So this is they're still trying to find their footing, and I think that '98 and '90 or 2004's album are their best because. Um, they incorporate everything they've learned all those years, and they remember, "Hey, we were also a hip hop band," you know, and then they really strengthen the rapping.
1: But, but yeah, this, but I do, I do agree that this is definitely a a step up from uh, from Check Your Head. I do think that this is kind of, kind of, it's is definitely going in the direction that I would kind of want them to have been going into had I been
0: picking up these albums during this during this time. Yeah. I, I've come around even on their last album, The Hot Sauce Committee, Part Two. Um but I really don't think they ever put out a bad album. I just I love how experimental and, and unique their sound is. That they were doing the exact opposite of what everybody else was doing at the time. You know, I mean even Paul's boutique immediately they just like said, Nope, we're gonna do this and like and like what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> yeah,
1: well like I said, like Paul's boutique was I would rather just listen to the music than them rap. Yeah. And, uh, and this one is definitely a lot more everything, the elements come together a lot better.
0: I think, and also remember their style around this time. Just like Weezer's was like this thrift store, nerdy kind of uh not cool look, but yet cool. It was very interesting how that went around. Like the 70s I, were hip again.
1: Yeah, it's like, I'm so cool, I don't need to be cool.
0: Yeah. All right, so what's your next one?
1: My next one is The Future Sound of London, Life Forms.
0: Why don't I remember this one? I listened to all these albums this week, and I think I might have missed one. Oops.
1: Uh, well, this is, I will phrase it, like, this is more of what I associate Future Sound of London with. Like, the, the previous album we covered kind of had a little more dancing music as you what you would think of as. This one is... Actually, think back to when I had you listen to that... Uh, uh, why can't I think of the album now uh, the Psychic TV album this one is oh right yeah, I remember of, that, yeah this one is another one of those things where you kind of need to experience it more so than oh this is a thing where you can you listen to one track and it's a single this is a single it's this is what they do best really and that's create the se- uh, series of ambient soundscapes oh
0: okay no I did listen to this one yeah yeah
1: yeah, and everything kind of like. Would you agree that it feels alive? It feels organic. It doesn't feel like blips and bloops.
0: Right, right, yeah. right. It's 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 kind of like the way I was saying with air is that they're trying to set uh almost like ocean moving or orga or orgasms organisms moving. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, orgasms are yeah, full of life well, too. That, <laughs> they
1: are they're the ones all about or- orgasms. <laughs> but yeah, this, this is like all the samples that they picked were things that you could effectively find out in the natural world and so you're and it's not that there aren't bleeps and bloops especially in this it's a two it's actually a two album set and the second half is a lot more of the electronic side whereas the first half is a lot more of the organic side so you kind of go if you're as you listen to it say on Spotify or something you start kind of going through this this weave and then all of a sudden it just starts getting a lot more technological and and it's it's not just something that's telling you a story, but it's kind of like you're living in nature, and then you're driving into a city. You're starting to see things pop up, and it's becoming a lot more of of industry and things like that, as opposed to you know just they're sticking with one thing or the other. You kind of flowing in from one to another, and you know that kind of seems to be one of my definitely one of my gears that I get into is I just want to have music that I can sit there and absorb and I sound pretentious as fuck and if you can see me right now I'm wafting air over me <laughs>
0: are you stroking and your beatnik key? yes what does it really, it really it mean
1: in the most way possible
0: uh let me take this pipe out of my mouth yeah.
1: <laughs> I just had an edible don't worry about me <laughs> anyway uh, but yes uh this is this and their, the following album are a lot more in this vein, where it's you're here, you're basically hearing living music. If that's, I think, would be the best way to describe it. And it's definitely different. It's beyond anything else that that we that we'll talk about here today. I think this is probably the quote unquote weirdest thing. And again, I'm always here
0: to uh, let people try
1: something new. Nice. My
0: turn? That is you. All right. So, I've said this before with another album, and I'll say this again, I'm sure, in the future, but my favorite album, (laughs) I have like three favorite albums, and they constantly rotate, is Stone Temple Pilots Purple. Uh, A lot of it is nostalgia. When I got this album, and Paul's Boutique, one of my other favorite albums, um, I was playing Doom all summer of 94, I just got my license, I just got my first job. So a lot of a lot of it is nostalgia based, but I also think that this is the most focused of all of their albums. Uh the first one's a little more scattershot and it's more aggressive. The third one gets too weird. I think at times it undermines itself and then after that it's just like a mess. Like it, it would have a couple singles but then rest of it would be shit. But Purple from song 1 to the bonus track <laughs> the first time i had ever heard a bonus track by the way is that is this the first time when's the first time you noticed a bonus track
1: uh the first one was actually green day
0: is was there a bonus the, track uh, after
1: There's a bonus yeah just it's a weird little uh bizarre thing that trey cool sings at the end of the
0: album the oh. same year that's so interesting yeah because his you know, is is uh, like he's a lounge singer like uh, two minutes after the last song is like Uh, 12 special songs on this album for you to listen to (laughs) Um, but I just think from the very beginning Meat Plow (coughs) excuse me Meat Plow was just a really nice like ooh aggressive start Um, and then you know Vaseline of course Interstate Love Song is probably the one that most people know and not because it was a hit but because also it was such a big part of promoting The Crow do you remember that was in every single trailer oh no 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 not Interstate Love Song Big Empty
1: yeah La- uh,
0: Interstate Love Song was like one of the big MTV ones yeah okay yeah is that Take Time with the Wounded or no that's from the previous album, isn't it that, that's Creep no 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 or, or, Take Time with the Wounded.
1: Had, that's either Creep or uh, yeah no, that was Creep
0: okay oh I think you said Creed the band Creed I was like no <laughs> don't you dare <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, for me this was just like that that era where I was really starting to listen to lyrics and he has like this hopscotchy kind of weird, I don't know what's going on. No one will ever really know what's going on in Scott Whelan's head sadly because he's gone, but that man was odd. And I kind of like the weirdness that he would bring to uh, his music. But also let's talk about the DeLeo brothers are probably the best guitarists of this era that no one ever talks about. I think their hooks are fantastic. There's, there's nothing
1: on this album that I don't like. And it, like you said, when they go weird on uh, on Tiny Music, uh, yeah, they, they definitely have a fascinating style that made that really made this band special. Now, I'll say this. We, we did this on the grunge off, so I don't have a whole lot to say other than I love this album. And when I re-listened to it, Uh, For that show It's like rediscovering some of these songs That I forgot how good they
0: were Um, this is weird I didn't notice this until just now I'm looking on the Wikipedia Oh, no, never mind I thought it was trying to tell me that none of the lyrics were by Scott Whelan That they're all by uh, the DeLeo brothers I was like, that can't be right And then I see above it it says all lyrics by Scott Whelan I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense now (laughs) (laughs) Yeah uh, yeah this is uh just an emotional touchstone for me and yeah it is their best album and if you want a perfect slice of 1994 um I would say this in super unknown the um the kids that I see at the place that I work at they uh they're always wearing Nirvana shirts and I'm like guys look I know that he died tragically and they only lasted two albums but you got to explore beyond Nirvana there's you know like I tell them all the bands and I was like you, seriously like they're so I'm not a huge Nirvana guy so I mean maybe it's sacrilege but I find them to be lower tier grunge for me I, I've only listened to uh, their second album once and I haven't listened to their first album besides for this show ever again I haven't listened to it in like 30 years well
1: it's like I genuinely think that they're in total they have two good albums and a good live album and that's you know, effectively being never mi- for Nirvana, never mind, and then about half of uh,
0: the first, half of Bleach, and half of uh, uh, the other one. Yeah, well, cat. I mean, they were necessary. That's the thing; they were the first to really break out. I think, I think Soundgarden had a hit right before they did, um, and maybe Man of the Box came out right before that too. Um, yeah i'm pretty sure rusty chains came out before but they, none of them really like were top 40 charting but something about nirvana really triggered something and changed everything so i get why they're so legendary but if you put their albums up against like the big ones from all these other bands i they're still i'm not even sure uh nevermind would make a top 10 for me well we go back and listen to our I ground for, yeah yeah, yeah. find out i forgot yeah I, um what was the one? One baby two another says I really love her. Or something like that. That's the only one that I really remember liking on that album.
1: <laughs> I want to say that's in bloom, but part of me goes, no, that's... A... God, why can't, think... why can't
0: I think of t- it's a It's It's of... okay. Um, uh, that is it for me. What is your next album?
1: Uh, Grave Diggers,
0: Six Feet Deep. I knew of this band. Because I remember to this day Kurt Loader coming up on the MTV. Look, back in the day we had a sixty-year-old man working on MTV trying to appeal to teenagers. I know it's weird. <laughs> uh, Kurt Loader will always be and always has been sixty years old. <laughs> oh yeah. um, But he was talking about uh, the new wave in hip hop is horror rap and talking about the grave diggers and stuff like that. And I'm like, who the fuck are the? I just remember seeing like a clip of the video. I was like, well, I guess that's not for me. And guess what? This is for me. At my age now, I really appreciated this. It's never going to be in my top of this era, but I liked it, and I may—I'll probably go back to it and revisit.
1: What's What's interesting about this, and actually, the, the following album is well. The following album is a lot more serious. Like it is actually like there's political and social commentary on it. This one is this. It's a blend of horror and dark humor. Like I could, they came to my attention because uh, the song "One Eight Hundred Suicide" was on the Demonite soundtrack. Okay, and so that it's weird because it's a like the soundtrack is all these metal bands, and then it closes out with this song. <laughs> it's and it, it's in the film. It's in a pretty uh, not obviously a pivotal scene, but a pretty important scene. You get the instrumental in in the film, and. What I think I love about this album, and it's basically
0: it's a rap group with uh, uh, Prince Paul and RZA. Oh, Prince Paul,
1: nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so there, there. Here's the thing that dis- was disappointing, though, is this is Wu Tang adjacent, and yet, unlike Wu Tang, where they used a lot of clips from old martial arts movies, they didn't use horror music or clips, and I was kind of bummed by that. I was hoping for a horror or a rap version of like Rob Zombie's thing.
1: But what, what this kind of ends up being is, it's probably, with the exception of I guess you know like body count or something, this is really the closest thing to a metal album that rap has really offered. Like, in an oral aesthetic, uh, this really feels closer to. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the best which bands I could say like some death, uh, like a little bit of obituary. Some of these, like, it's not necessarily cannibal corpse or, you know, gross grindcore stuff, but it definitely has these feelings of, you know, it's like, we're going to talk about something dark and we're not going to shy away from, you know, from necessarily the nastiness of it. But we're not going to pound you in the head with it either. And it's, you know, and these they use they use hard rock in their beats and stuff like that. You know, Run DMC, Ice T did it as well. But this feels this makes it feel completely different. And yeah, part of that is because it's is Wu Tang adjacent and kind of how they they spin their their beats isn't a specific way. It's just yeah, it's not very sample heavy. But uh yeah, this I I actually was genuinely surprised to hear that you like this one because I was a little worried on that one.
0: Yeah, I it's I, I would say I would like something else from them, like, you know, a, a different kind of DJ style or sample style, but that's just me. They're a really good uh
1: rap group. Yeah, I, I think you would probably like their next album. And
0: that'd probably be it. <laughs> but those these the first two albums I think probably would be your your dish. Okay. The uh, so on like previous episodes we're gonna cut this in half. So this is a last track or last album for me for this episode. Um, this is like the last gasp of an era. Um, I listened to I was still listening to some of the hard rock glam metal guys. But most of the glam metal, is it, are we are calling glam metal now hair, instead of hair metal? I'm, I'm pretty sure we are. Yeah, yeah, it's glam, yeah, glam like rock. Like, 93, I got, like, uh, I believe I got the last of the Warrant and the Poison albums, and they were pretty good. But this last album by Tesla, and this is the last album for a decade because they would break up after this, um, Bust a Nut, look, it's juvenile title, I know this. And I just think it's a really good, straight-up, rock and roll, no-nonsense album. And I've listened to this so many fucking times. And, um... I'm surprised the songs that came off of this as singles were successful because I don't think they're that great. I, I think of some of the other ones that should have been singles and I think would have been great. Shine Away and Rubber Band, I think, were fucking amazing. Um... Now, I, this may not even be in your wheelhouse, but sometimes you surprise me. So what did you think of
1: this? I really wish I liked it more, but uh, it kind of came off as just generic glam rock. You know, it, basically, it, it came off as adult contemporary. Oh, wow. And when I, when I got to it, Action Talks became the example of why I didn't really like the album. It's trying to come off like this classic 80s, hard, you know, hard kind of glam rock track. Uh-huh. but it ends up coming off nothing
0: more than like corporate mandated. Well, yeah, but I think it's, of that, well, that whole era seemed to be that way. I think there's only a few shining lights like, um, Mama or, uh, No More Tears. You know, that's like, that's the shining light cool. of the genre. Um, well, no, but
1: it's like, it, it, did you see the, the Rock of Ages movie?
0: No, I know of what you're talking oh, about though. Okay. Uh, Jukebox. music. Diego,
1: Diego Bonetta, uh, plays like the young the young male lead. Okay. And he's he goes out in front of this in front of the He's given a shot to uh to perform in this club and he's he's failing it. So then all of a sudden he busts out, I wanna rock. And he's so fucking Radio Disney that is so safe and soft
0: okay I can see of, where, yeah so Tesla, with this it just felt like he was not trying any risky was, things
1: yeah there was absolutely nothing behind it I I generally I was starting to write like you know things you know that would sound overly masculine and I'm kind of going you know I, I try not to like knock it in in terms like that but like this is fucking pussy man why where are your balls <laughs> What well, happened I, to you? Because, like, uh, Mechanical Resonance, we did that one, and that was fine. Right. And well, it just kind of felt like, what happened that made you guys lose any edge?
0: Well, I think what it is is because some of the other bands did try to advance their sound. That, Like I said, the previous albums from Poison and Warrant tried to be more sophisticated, and they didn't sell very well. And I think Tesla got nervous Oh well, their sound has never been contemporary anyway. Because if you look at a lot of their stuff, it is very reflective of the '70s. We people do put them in with glam metal, but they've never been glam metal. They've always been hard rock, more in the vein of like Van Halen and Aerosmith, not so much Poison and uh, you know uh, uh, Slaughter and stuff like that. Those guys, they never did the hairspray. They just had long hair, and yeah. I think that and the fact that what was it? Uh, what was it? Signs was their biggest hit. And I think they saw the writing on the wall that everything was changing. And so instead of going grunge, they just played it like, well, let's just play a little bit harder edge 70s
1: style music. Well, it's like, we, we aren't going to get to it in this show, but one of the bands that you did also kind of goes down into the, the changing of the sound sort of thing. And it's, while it wasn't a, a favorite, it still feels like that there's still stuff there behind what they're trying to do, like an actual, like, not, I don't want to say calculated choice, but it's, okay, no, we're experimenting with this, we're doing this, whereas this just feels like someone took, you know, yeah, took the edges off of everything and just made it, you know, the, it's now a wibble ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they broke up, because this album did sell well for a dying genre. It still went gold and had two hit singles, but maybe they just said, like, you know what, guys? I think it's uh, time to walk away for a while. Now they're really super safe. Like, now their albums are all covers of 70s and 80s songs now, and they're just like, phoning it in all the way.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I don't have any problem with, obviously, with, with some of these albums that I've already talked about, stuff that is slow and moody and, you know, and not, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be, the angry death metal like I had on the last show and shit doesn't have to be that all the time but if you're going to try and tell me that you're that you're gonna rock I need to feel like you're gonna rock
0: yeah um what is the final album of this episode for you
1: my final album is Liz Spare's Whip Smart
0: I at first did not understand how this album was laid out I was not getting into it. I was like, these are the first songs that I realized I accidentally hit mix. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I had to restart the whole album <laughs> without the mixing tracks because I was like, this has no flow to it whatsoever. And then it got a lot better.
1: Yeah, it, it, does, it definitely is an album that you, you do kind of need to flow into it because it it's more laid back than like kind of how it starts.
0: This yeah. starts
1: off pretty pretty heavy and fast especially when you get to uh, Supernova you know that's that's the rock song off this album yeah in fact
0: I know Liz Fair. I know who she is I think she had a hit single that was more poppy like a decade later and I know she's well respected but I never I've never heard her before
1: yeah and I was actually I really wanted to do her first album because that, that would have been on the last show that is a lot more intense like it, it's like I don't necessarily want to say it was Riot Girl, but it was closer to Riot Girl than this album is. Uh-huh. But uh it definitely is a it's more of a punch in the face album, whereas this one is Hey, let's hang out. And uh, you know, it's like the title Whip Smart the title track, Shane Support System, Jealousy. There's a lot of jams on this. But that's the thing, is the 90s were a really good time for these female-fronted acts.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Because, I mean, you know, the Cranberries, no doubt, Melissa Etheridge, Lisa Loeb, you know, Tori Amos, Fiona Apple. I mean, shit. There's a, I, can, I can just finish the rest of the show just saying female-fronted. Right, people. right,
0: I, I was going to say. Cause, I mean, and every genre had it, too, because country started coming up. You know, we had Katie Lang and... Um, uh, like I just feel like that was a time where people were more open to letting girls be more be stronger instead of just prissy little
1: <laughs> I'm adorable yeah and that's the thing that's what I, I appreciate more about Whip Smart than I do Exit from Guyville is Exit from Guyville is an intense record even at its softer moments it's an intense record like I said this one is let's hang out there's still you know stuff being said it's, it's an emotional record but it—it's never. I'm going to step on your nuts, you know. You know, kind of like how I enjoy "Right Girl" at times, but it also comes off very much as, you know, if I'm as a man, if I'm going to listen to it, I sometimes feel like I should be, you know, licking the feet of a dominatrix, sort of, <laughs> sort of feel. Where it's like, yes, yes, tell me I'm scum, mistress. <laughs> At times for Riot Girl, because that's it's very much, you know, female empowerment, you know, let's, you know, punch the patriarchy in a stupid fat face, you know, sort of music. And that's good at times, and other times, eh, no, I just, I want to chill my best, my, my best girl, you know, Liz.
0: All right, so is that it?
1: that is it for me for this
0: show wow I was gonna say if we did the if we did the whole list this would be almost a two hour episode we're almost to an hour already alright so we are going to obviously stop here and we'll do another episode for the second half of our list thank you everybody for listening check us out wherever you check us out um just not through binoculars and not while I'm at Walmart trying on clothes <laughs> alright uh anything you wanna say before we go um
1: listen to those albums I talked about cause they're really
0: good righty, that's it have a good night